Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence here. Thank you for the joy it is in this family, Lord. I thank you, Father. Just the fun that we have as believers, as followers of you, the fun we have in your presence, Lord, the fun we have serving one another, the fun we have, Lord, just being ourselves, Lord, being free. Thank you, Father, for it, what you have built here in this beautiful family. We ask you, Lord, just speak to us today. Father, give me the words, Lord, to get out what what you've laid on my heart. And Father, uh, Holy Spirit, I ask you just to uh, preach every uh, sermon that needs to be spoken individually to hearts and minds, that you would just take the words and just reveal Jesus to each of them in a new way, Lord. I thank you, Father, for you are our teacher. We don't need men to teach us. You are our teacher. So Jesus, teach us. Holy Spirit, teach us this morning from your word. Bring us the revelation that sets us free and moves us forward, Father. Thank you, Father, for it. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 1. And I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. Prayer that is powerful. Uh, now, there's different types of prayer. Let me, let me clarify this. There are like, I think, uh, five to eight different words in the Hebrew. I, I didn't look it up this morning, but there's a lot of different words that are translated as prayer in English, and they denote different types of prayer, like the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of intercession, uh, the prayer of just mo- uh, groaning and moaning, uh, unvoiced prayer. There's different types of prayer that are there, but what I want to talk to you this morning is about the prayer, uh, what I would probably term more apostolic type prayer, okay? And uh, you see this in the book of Ephesians when Paul uh, in Ephesians uh, 1 prayed for the church and he said, hey guys, this is what I'm praying over you. And uh, there's also one in the book of Colossians where it's Paul says, this is what I pray over you. And it kind of describes Paul's heart, what he feels for the church there and what he's praying. And I want to also share with you from the book of Nehemiah, uh, apostolic prayer that God has ordained you to walk in. And by apostolic, let me clarify again, apostolic, I don't mean like you are an apostle. I mean just flowing in the heart of an apostolic, apostolic meaning sent, okay? There's a place where you can uh, hear the heart of God and move forward and expand the kingdom around you, and it begins with prayer, Okay? So we're in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, and let's begin here. It says, the, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, the words of Nehemiah, emphasizing here, it begins with, this is the words, this is the testimony of Nehemiah. Why is this book in the Bible? Because there is a testimony that you can grab a hold of that is applicable to your personal life and as you walk it out. You can see how God moves among men here in this book that is applicable to you. Remember that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. 
And when you hear a testimony, what that does is that it enables you to grab a hold of and say, God, you're no respecter of person. It persons. If you can do it in his life or her life, then it still applies to my life as well. I'm grabbing a hold of these promises and I'm beginning to confess what you did in their life. So these are the words of confession, the word of testimony so that we can read it and hear it, so that we can understand it and apply what Nehemiah walked through into our personal lives. Okay? There's power here. I also want you to understand for context's sake, because something, often we're, we're reading this and we're not understanding uh, t- timing, the very practical nuances that are very applicable to the story that really kind of changed the story. So Nehemiah wrote this 71 years after they had already returned from captivity. Okay, so they left. They were sent into captivity. 70 years passed, and Cyrus set them free to return, and a whole group returned to Jerusalem and began to be there, and they built the temple. And it took them 20 years to build the temple. Because there was opposition and they ran into all these things. You can see that in the first part of the book of Ezra where he recounts, and some of the prophets recounts the building of the temple. That took place the first 20 years of return. And then nothing happened for another 50 years. And then Nehemiah comes into it. Okay? So imagine 1952 is when this last happened. And from 1952 to today, today is Nehemiah. Time reference. Sometimes we read it and it's like, uh, yesterday this happened and the next day this happened. No, no, no. There's 71 years that happens here. Okay, this is important. So Nehemiah is here, he's recording, and he said, now it happened in the month of Chislev, In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, so it's the 20th year of the the king here, uh, Arxerxes, the 20th year of his reign, uh, Nehemiah is in Susa, the capital city, he's basically in Washington, D.C., that Hanai, one of my uh, brothers, came with certain uh, men from uh, Judah to see me, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. So he's asking, hey, guys, it's been 71 years since we returned. What's going on there? Because Nehemiah did not return. His family did not return. He grew up there in captivity, continued. And he's high up in the government. He's in a place and a position. He's the wine bearer to the king. So he's right next to the king. He's like, say, the the butler of the president. He's right there next to the power and influence of the nations, of the world. He's right there 71 years after they've already returned. And his brother comes to visit from visiting Jerusalem, and he says, Hey, guys, how's things going there for those that return? What's going on in Jerusalem? It's been 71 years. How are things? And they said to me in verse 3, The remnants there in the province that have survived the exile, um, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. 
the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah is asking, it's been 71 years, 1952, things have gone by, everything has changed. I wonder what's going on there. And he says, man, it is bad there. Yes, they've built the temple, but they're all in shame. They're poor. They're, they're broken down. It's not flowing. Things are not happening. Uh, the kingdom of God is not being glorified and moved forward. It's gotten kind of dead and broken down, and it needs, it needs some breakthrough. Can you imagine having a church where in 1952 you had a great revival take place and since then you've just been doing church? And now it's 2023 and you begin to ask, how's the church? Well, actually not much has changed since 1952. So this is the way they are. And he says it's so bad that the walls are broken down and the gates have been destroyed or are still destroyed by fire. The enemy, it's wide open to the enemy to do whatever they want. They're beaten down. They have no authority. They have no blessing. They have no prosperity. This is the condition that they're in. Verse 4, it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who loved him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Do you see, this is an apostolic prayer. Because he hears how it is, and it pierces his heart to the point where he cares, and he does something about it. He begins to cry out to God for what he has heard. Bless you, Lord. I love what he does here, because he goes right into... um, Let your ear be attentive to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. It's in the middle of verse 6. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today, me, and grant me mercy in the eyes of this man, the king, for I am the cupbearer to the king. So you see the whole thing here where Nehemiah gets and begins to operate in apostolic prayer. See, apostolic prayer is world-changing. 
Apostolic prayer meets the heart of a situation, connects to it, and then begins to move forward and see the kingdom of God expand and change that situation. It changes the world around you. Apostolic prayer brings intercession and causes the heart of God to be felt and then moved forward and passed on, infiltrating all the world around you. Apostolic prayer brings breakthrough. If you are um, wanting to see a movement of God, it begins with apostolic prayer. What Nehemiah does here, you see, is he begins to get the heart of God. And that one of the first things he does is he confesses righteousness. You remember in James 5.16, it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You can get a lot of things accomplished when a righteous man effectually, it's very effectual, it will change things. It will happen when a righteous man prays fervently with his heart. Works for a woman too, by the way. It's getting the heart of God and understanding your righteousness. And so what Nehemiah does here, the first thing he does is he begins to cry out, Lord, I've cried out to you day and night, and please forgive their sins and forgive us our sins, forgive my sins. He sets the stage of where righteousness is because righteousness is the first aspect of apostolic prayer. When you know you're righteous, then you can pray with authority. If there's a question of righteousness, it takes your legs out from underneath you, and all you can do then is hope or beg or suggest. But apostolic prayer is a prayer of authority, and it comes from a place of righteousness. You remember in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. You see that it, within that all is talking about you have to have righteousness. Now, guys, I'm not asking you to begin to do things more righteously. I'm asking you to understand what and who your righteousness is in. You are righteous in Christ Jesus because of the blood of the covenant. Because of what he's done, he makes you right standing. He makes you righteous. He changes you. Because you uh, fellowship with him, you're getting in his word, you're spending time with him, and your heart begins to change. And when your heart changes, he comes in there and he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new way of thinking or relating to a situation. And all of a sudden you begin to act out completely differently than you would have in the past. I was woken up last night in the middle of the night. And uh, I was thinking about this missionary that that I'm beginning to support. He's a, uh, a national missionary in Nepal. He lives right across the line in Nepal. And we have missionaries in India that he's come across the border into India and he's fellowshipping with. And uh, he's from an unreached people group. Very, very low percentage of heard the gospel in this. And he and his wife have dedicated themselves uh, to uh, reaching and church planning in this region of Nepal. 
And I was thinking about him because my, my contact, my friend in India who I, I work with there, uh, Ramesh had told me, you know, we, we need to prayerfully consider supporting this guy so that he and his wife can actively do this full time. And it's like 90 bucks a month would be able to get them going and they would be able to survive and plant churches in this whole region of Nepal. And I woke up in the middle of the night saying, you need to do this. So I was like, okay, Lord, I will absolutely, I'll start supporting this guy $90 a month to get him doing this, you know. And when I made that decision, I instantly remembered a word that was spoken to me in 2016 saying, the Lord has a peace for you in Nepal. I have a peace for you to do in Nepal. And when I received that word back in 2016, I was like, Nepal, I don't have any, any heart, thought, desire. I don't have anything in Nepal that I, you know, it's just one of those countries that's on the map, but not on my map. Okay. And so I set up and I realized not only am I to do this, but this is the beginning of the peace of what the Lord offered me in 2016. See, 2016, my heart wasn't there to receive it. I wasn't ready. I couldn't go there. 2023, five years later, I can. Because the Lord has gone in and he has changed my heart. He has given me a new view of doing things, a new way to do things. Because before, in 2016, I had to go and do it. In 2023, I can see the Lord doing it, and I'm helping the person go. I may never get to Nepal, and I'm okay with that. 2016, if I was going, it's the countries I am going to. I'm going to get a stamp in my passport. But the Lord has changed my heart and allowed him to build his kingdom the way he wants to build his kingdom through me. Do you understand the righteousness change? It's just an example I'm trying to give you of the way the Lord changes your heart and conforms you into the image of Jesus. When Jesus left the earth, he had been to one, two, three nations only. But he had a heart for the world. Every tongue and tribe will be blessed because of what Jesus did in the little circle of geographical area that he did. But his heart is to go to the... And how does he do that? He entrusts it to you to carry. So we ha- our heart has to change from me doing it to, Lord Jesus, you can do it. I'll be a part if you want me to do Otherwise, I'm going to be back here and I'm going to support and I'm going to carry and I'm going to serve. Righteousness is what I'm talking about, is having that change of heart, whatever it is, so that you can agree with Jesus for what Jesus wants to do. Here Nehemiah says, Lord, I understand our hearts have not been righteous. We have not sought you. Jesus, come in and change us. I, forgive us our sins. We've done that through the blood of Jesus. We've received it. And through that, we have the authority to pray apostolic prayers that change nations. Lord, help me to get this across. Bless your name, Lord. First, you have to understand you're righteous. You have to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. If you want to see the world changed around you, if you want to see lives changed, if you want to see people set free and reached with the love of Jesus, 
that liberates them and changes them. You've got to know who you are in Christ. Now that isn't a deterrent to go ahead and move forward. You've got to move forward. You've got to do with what you have. But you're always looking for a bigger and deeper revelation of who Jesus is. Show me your righteousness, Jesus. Reveal yourself to me. Because the bigger you see Jesus, the more you see Jesus, that expands your tent and gives you the ability to love people better. Loving people is not a heartfelt decision. It's not just something you do. Loving people comes from a changed heart where you look like Jesus, and it's just a natural outflow of who you are in Christ. Otherwise, it's religious work, and it stinks. It smells fake. And it comes across, eventually it permeates the culture, and you get things like you do in Alabama where they say, well, bless your heart. And instead of being a blessing, it's actually a, well, you're just an idiot. Well, bless your heart. You're just so dumb you can't figure this out. I'm not being dry. My mom's from Mississippi. I mean, this is normal. You grow. I grew up in stuff like this, and you begin to realize that really it probably started off good but became dead because it lost the heart. We've got to maintain the heart. Jesus, your righteousness, that's all I want to live in. I want to live in your righteousness, and I thank you, Father, for it by the blood of Jesus that it is sufficient today. Sufficient today, Lord Jesus. Nehemiah understands this. He begins with righteousness because he has seen and he declares the promises of God. You know, this verse in James 5 that I quoted, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it tells the story of, I think it is Elijah, uh, who uh, called down the drought that lasted for three and a half years. Now, Elijah read in the word that if they don't follow me, if you th- then there'll be a drought. So Elijah said, okay, it's reached the point nationally that we need the Lord to move and we need people to understand their sin. So he calls down a drought and the drought lasts for three and a half years. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Okay, now this is on a national level. I don't suggest you do this in your at. It's not what I'm talking about. You're, you're, you're not Elijah. You're not at that level, the vast majority of you. Some of you are close. You know, you have positions of authority, but you have to have the heart of Jesus to do this. Elijah was acting in, in the level of understanding he did. But the point was that when you see God, you can speak and call down things from that level. So Nehemiah here says... I don't know if you caught that or not. He says, remember what you commanded your servant saying. Remember, O Lord, who you are. Remember that these are your people. Now, did God forget? No. But what happened was, is Nehemiah saw, oh, this is who God is, and I'm confessing it out loud from that place of authority. God, this is who you are, and I'm actually believing it now. It's not a manipulation of God. It's a confession of authority of Jesus. This is who you are. I can remember uh, I had a situation. It's been a while. But we had a, a, a young girl who had, was making really dumb decisions, and uh, you could just see the influence of the enemy. This was probably my first time, so this is a long time ago. This is back in, I was probably 22, my first time. I've done this many, many times since then. This was the time when it, like, clicked. 
and she was heading out of town and was going to move out of the country from Russia, and I knew it was a terrible decision. She was basically running from something. I just didn't know what it was. Years later, I knew what it was, but at that time, I did not. And I remember that I, I, I saw what Jesus wanted for her, and I began to pray that. Lord, you are able to do it. And Lord, are you not faithful? Are you not strong enough? Is not your arm long enough, God, that you can reach her where she is now and break through in the situation so that she doesn't make the decision that is detrimental to her long term? Jesus, you are able. And I began to this righteous anger. And it wasn't an anger at God. It was an anger at the situation and declaring what Jesus says over the situation. That is apostolic authority. And she, she broke. She stayed. She's still there now. She's married now and doing good. And I've done this many times over the years. When you see God in a situation from a place of righteousness and you begin to declare, Lord, I see who you are and I declare who you are over the situation. Because the enemy's telling me that you aren't able But I am saying because of what Jesus has done and who you are, God, I'm declaring with authority over this situation. That is apostolic prayer. That is what Nehemiah does here. 71 years have passed, Lord. Why haven't these things? You said you love these people. You said that you're going to establish them. Lord, I agree with you that you will establish them. You will see it broken through. You will see the victory come upon your church, come upon this situation. See, we do this all the time. You can do this over your family, over your kids, over your job, over the city, over your neighborhood. You just have to know your righteous, know your righteousness, and see what God sees about it. It isn't you just deciding, hey, I think we need another 7-Eleven a little bit down the road, and I declare in the name of Jesus the 7-Eleven's going to be built. That's just hooky-dooky weirdo stuff. I'm talking about, okay, there's enough murders in KCMO. And I see the heart of the Father. And so I began to go, Lord, what is it? Absence of fathers. Lord, I pray, Father, you who are a father, raise up the fathers, Lord Jesus. Establish the families, Lord. Encourage the men that they can be fathers. You know, just whatever. Get the heart of the father and begin to pray it apostolically. And this works in any way, guys. Righteousness and I see. Nehemiah does this. I'm a little excited this morning. This comes from a revelation of your position, your power, and your promise. What has he told you? Is he able? What are the promises? All the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. So he sees the promises of God. He also sees the problem, and he begins to confess it over it. God, you have the ability to answer. Oftentimes, when you are in apostolic prayer, it's going to touch deep emotions. It says here that he mourned for days. Why did he mourn for days? That doesn't make sense. 71 years have passed. He gets a report the walls are broken down, and he mourns for days that the walls are broken down. 
They've been broken down for 71 years. They've been broken down actually for 141 years when Nebuchadnezzar broke them down when he destroyed Jerusalem. Why are you worried about it now? This is apostolic prayer, is the unnatural emotion that comes from it when you see the heart of God and it hits your heart. If you're reacting in such a way like that, you're probably at a place where the Lord wants you to be praying apostolically over a situation. When it's touching you that deep. One of the, the keys of learning why, what your purpose is is discovering what makes you angry, what makes you sad, what makes you happy. And it narrows down or helps you to narrow down why God has you the way you are and what he's put his heart into for you to adjust to. If it makes you angry, you're probably there to be a voice to speak. You just got to get the righteous heart about it so that the anger is his anger and not yours. Because if you're speaking out of your own anger, you're just more noise. And the world has enough noise. He's called us to see who he is in righteousness, to see who we are in the problem and begin to speak. When you get into that level of care, emotion, concern, more than likely you're going to feel inadequate. And that's actually really, really, really good. Because if you think you're adequate, then you're going to do it in your own strength. But when you are mourning and you feel inadequate, God, what can possibly take place? How can this ever change? How can my children be reached? When you're praying from that place of, of weeping over it and feeling completely unable to do anything, that is a beautiful place of apostolic prayer. Because your reliance is upon the Father to move. God, you can answer. And your declaration comes from that place. God, move. The creative God, Elohim. The all-sufficient God, El Shaddai. Our provider, Jehovah Jireh. The ability of God to do it is there. Lastly, you'll notice here that he didn't just pray. You know, he, he heard the news. It cut him to the heart. He had an emotional reaction to where they were. He's like, they shouldn't be living like this. God, I know who you are. I know that you forgive. We've repented and we repent of our sins. I know you can heal it, Lord. Uh, show me, Father. And at the very end, he says... Um, grant him mercy, grant me mercy in the sight of this man, the king. You know what that means, don't you? That means, Lord, I'm willing to put it all on the line as the butler at the White House and bring the request before the president. I'm willing to put it on the line, Lord. Reminded me of Isaiah 6, 8. 
and you'll hear this a lot when you're doing apostolic prayer, you'll feel this, where uh, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, uh, I saw the throne room, and I heard the voice of the Lord calling, who should we send? Who will go out for us? And Isaiah cried out and said, here I am, Lord, send me. Apostolic prayer comes from that heart, and then it's walked out with, okay, Lord, if you want me to, I am willing to be part of the solution. You know, back in the uh, late 80s, which is a long time ago, guys, some of you might not have existed. Yeah, some of you didn't exist in the 80s. Still just a twinkle in your parents' eyes. Back in the 80s, when I was still a high schooler, I began to have a, a burden like this for the Soviet Union, which was a country that doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's now Russia, okay? Began to have a, just a burden. I would weep over the Soviet Union, which doesn't make any sense. I'm just a, far, a kid, a small town, middle of Illinois. What do you care about, about the Soviet Union? You, you know what I mean? 15, 16, 17-year-old. Obviously, the Lord was grabbing my heart, and I had to reach the point where I was like, Lord, I am willing. And I, I remember finding this and saying, okay, Lord, I'm willing to go. Here I am. Send me. If you need somebody to go, I'm willing to go. And at 20 years old, I moved there. But you have to wait. There's a timing factor. And there is a timing factor here between chapter 1 and chapter 2 when he speaks to the king. It's about four months in his case. For me, it was five years. But apostolic prayer, it's apostolic because you're sent. Apostolic just simply means the one who is sent or sent one. It's not so big. If you're in the office of apostle, that carries a lot more weight to it. But being apostolic is just you're simply your sent. Okay? So if there was a, um, suddenly you woke up, for example, and you're like, Lord, the lady next door to me who's widowed, uh, her lawn is never mowed. And Lord, it just pains my heart for her. Because she's uh, alone and she's probably struggling and her kid, I never see her kids visit, you know, and, and she's out there pushing that lawnmower by and my heart just hurts. Lord, you're righteous. You said defend the, the widows. You said you take care of the widows, Lord. This is who you are, Father. Get where I'm going here? So, Lord, if, if uh, I'm willing to go, if, if you want me to go help, I'm, I'm willing to go. And the Lord might lay it on your heart. Yeah, go over there, knock on her door, and ask, offer to mow her lawn. Go take her some of your wife's chocolate chip cookies. You know, uh, send her a code, uh, a card in the mail, thinking and praying for you, your neighbor. I mean, there's tons of ways to do it. And that's just one example. You know, it could be that lady in the checkout line or that guy in the checkout line you go through all the time and you just notice something's not right. And you're like, okay, Lord, here I am. If you want me, send me. See, apostolic is I'm righteous. I see the problem. I see who you are. I pray and, and, 
and call it forth. Lord, let your best will, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get it there? Do you see it? Apostolic prayer. And Lord, bring it about. And here I am, Lord. Send me to do it if you want me to. And you'll see Nehemiah did this. And Nehemiah, in a short time frame, brings about change and freedom to all the people there. He has the wall rebuilt and everything is accomplished in just a matter of months. Now, it's not always that easy. And there was a lot here. But it's understanding that, Lord, I am willing. I'm willing to see, to fill, and to go. Jesus loves doing great things. Like he said in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name, that's you guys, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, see who I am, and turn from their wicked ways, acknowledge their righteousness, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And it's going to be healed through them. We often expect some giant wave of God just to come washing over like an alien invasion across the United States and just changing everything. But really, most, more than likely, it's a very grassroots and it starts right with you and it starts with your sphere of influences in the world right around you and it just starts overwhelming Satan because revival's breaking out all over the place. And he can't take out one guy to kill the revival because there's just too many. There's 200 of you out there just bringing revival everywhere you go. Apostolic prayer. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful body, beautiful church, Lord, this beautiful city, Lord, Grandview, Kansas City Metro, Lord, Missouri, Kansas, Lord. Thank you, Father, for where you've placed us in this time, in this season, Lord. Thank you, Father, that what is around us, Lord Jesus, Uh, You see, Father, and in your way, in your timing, Lord, show us, Lord. Show us your heart, Father, that your kingdom would come to earth around us as it's being done in heaven, Lord. Show us what you're doing, Father, so that we can join in. Thank you, Father. It's because of your righteousness that you gave us in Christ Jesus, because of the work of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for it. Holy Spirit, you're always with us. You're the paraclete. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You've prepared grace for us. Thank you, Father, for it. So, Lord, we just ask you to reveal. Give us revelation, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.